All righty. So uh, thank you all for coming. Uh, we will try and make some uh, some progress in the in the sitter. Uh, from where we left off last week, we said that uh, this week we're going to begin with Birchas Hashachar. So Birchas Hashachar is uh, something here. Let me go ahead and pull that up for you. Um, so Birchas Hashachar begins. It, it, it's on the screen over there in front of you. Yes. Okay. Great. Yes. So we here you have uh, fifteen or sixteen brachos. So it begins with Ashen Asam Lesach Vivina Lavchim Ben Yom Velayla, and it continues all the way through. We say this last bracha Hamavir Shenu Meinam Usnuma Meafapai. Shem removes the slumber from our eyes, and then you have this Vihi Ratzon, which is really part of the same thing, all the way until Gomel Chasim Tovin Lamo Yisrael. So uh, for our purposes tonight. Uh, when we talk about Birchas Hashach, we're talking about this collection of brachos. Now, this collection of brachos actually has quite an interesting history. In that, one would expect that since it's arranged so neatly and it just goes one after the other, after the other, after the other, that probably the source for this is something which is a straightforward Gemara somewhere. And uh, you would be about um, 66% correct. I guess if we if we're going to go ahead and we're going to do the uh, the math, that would be about sixty six percent correct, because of these brachos. So a number of them come from the Gemara in brachos. So the Gemara brachos says um, uh, the the Gemara in brachos says that as a person wakes up in the morning. So or, let me say it this way: that as a person goes through the initial um, part of waking up in the morning in getting oneself ready in the morning so one should be thanking God every step along the way so we take it for granted the fact that our eyes open up we take it for granted the fact that over here we have pokeh ivim, our eyes open up malbisha rumim, the fact that we have clothing to put on, matira surim the fact that we could sit up, zokef kufufim, the fact that we could stand up Rokal Salamaim is being able to walk. Shasoli Koltzaki, I have shoes. Hamichim is that I could actually begin to walk. Oizoi Sabigvura is that I could put something, uh, a belt along the middle of my body, separating the upper part of my body from the lower part of my body. Oteri Sabisifara, everybody has some sort of hair covering. Hanosin Layefkoch, Hakarish Baruchu is going to give those who are weak uh, uh, strength. That's through sleep. And then that when you finally, the Gemara says, when you wash your face in the morning, so you're wiping away, in a sense, the slumber, and we give a brach on that. So really what's supposed to happen is, is that every step along the way, step by step by step, through, those, through that process of waking up, so we are supposed to acknowledge God for giving us all of that ability and all of that potential, all of those things which we are, which we are supposed to do. And that's the way it. That's the way those brachas are presented in the Gemara. Now, in addition to that, you have three brachas. For some reason, we put it in the middle over here. These brachas of, let's sort of highlight them: Shalosani Goy, Shalosani Avid, Shalosani Isha. The fact that what is not a, a non-Jew, a slave, or a woman, we're not getting into the pshat and exactly what that is. All the alternative bracha of. Shasani Kirtzonu, what women say that Hashem made me according to your according to his will, according to your will, his will. So these are brachas which really come from the Gemara Menachos. 
So it's a completely different section of Shas. It's a completely different set of motivations why we go ahead and we say that, uh, why we say these brachos. So even though they're arranged one after the other, after the other, after the other, so 11 of them come from the, come from the Gemara in, uh, in brachos, which talks about the process of waking up and getting yourself ready in the morning. Three of these brachas have to do with whether or not, uh, with uh, these ideas of our existence. And then what's fascinating about this is, which I'm not sure how many people know, is you have this bracha over here, Hanoseno Yaif Koach. That Baruch Hu is the one who goes ahead and gives strength to the weary. Now this bracha is fascinating because it doesn't appear anywhere in Shas. It's not something which is traced from Shas. And therefore, it's a, there's actually machlokas about whether this bracha should be said altogether uh, or altogether. Uh, in Simon Memvav Sif Vav. So this is in the section Shochanach dealing with Birchos Shachar. So Shochanach says, Yesh Nogin Levarcha Nosen Noyev Karach. So Shochanach mentions that there's a custom that some people have to say this Bracha of Hanosen Noyev Karach. But he says, Ve'ein Divreim Nirin. Shochanach says, I don't agree. I don't think that this Bracha should be said. What's the opposition to saying this bracha? What, what, what's, what's wrong with it? So the opposition to saying this bracha is the fact that this is uh, not something which is found anywhere in Shas. And the language of brachas which we say, the wording of brachas which we say, are something which has to have been composed by Chazal. If we feel uh, particularly appreciative for a certain thing, so, uh, you know, Baruch HaDashem Elkeinu Ma'acholam, who heals hangnail, painful hangnails, or something like that. So you might feel b- really appreciative of the fact that that painful hangnail was actually healed, and now you can walk on that toe, but we don't have the authority to go ahead and start composing brachas on our own. So Shachanar follows the opinion that once we cannot trace his bracha to somewhere in Shas, or at the very least, some sort of well-known medrash, so the Shulchan Aruch is of the opinion that this bracha should not be said. The Ramah comes along and says, ah, Ashkenazim But the common minag amongst Ashkenazim, and that's why you, you would find it in any one of your siddur, is to go ahead and, and, and say it. So that's where this bracha comes in. So this is there having nothing at all to do with uh, uh, um, the, uh, the order of brachas in terms of waking up but it's something which somehow was introduced at some later point in, in history. And that's a, it's an interesting dimension to the, uh, to the existence of these, uh, of these brachos. Now, um, now, as we said, really the halach is, is that each bracha should be said as you experience each one, each one of those things. Um, the reason for this bracha, let me, Take you a, a, a step back one baby step. So the Mishabur at the very beginning of the Simon, in Simon Mevav, so he says the, the idea behind the recitation of these, let's just call them the 11, 11 out of the 16 brachas, is Sifkat Nalaf in Memvav, Kola brachas Eluhu Mushum, the basis of the recitation of all these brachas is Dasulol Adam Lahanos Mina Olam Hazebeli Bracha. Because we know this to be true with regards to food, that a person is not allowed to benefit from this world, from this physical world, without first saying a bracha. 
And somebody who does benefit from this physical world without first reciting a bracha, it's as if you are taking sacred property, you're taking God's property, and you're using it for personal benefit. That's the Yisra of Me'ila, which we often talk about in Daf Yomi. And the basis of this is two seemingly contradictory psukim which we have in Tehillim. Because on the one hand, the Pasuk says, that to Hashem is the land in all of its fullness, meaning everything which exists is God's. And then we have another Pasuk which says, that the land was given to mankind. So who, does, who owns the land? Is the land God's or is the land ours? One Pasuk says everything belongs to God. The other Pasuk says it was given to mankind. Vitirtu and Chazal go ahead and reconcile this. And they say, Lokasha, it's not difficult. It depends on whether it's before you say a bracha or after you say a bracha. Before you say a bracha, everything belongs to God. So if you take anything without a bracha, that's whether you eat a food or whether you drink a beverage or whether you open your eyes or you stand up or you do any of those these physical things that are included in Birchas HaShachar, before saying a bracha, it belongs to God and you're not allowed to benefit from it. Only after we say the bracha, then it becomes ours and then we have the right to go ahead and benefit from it. And therefore, um, uh, so therefore, Lefikach, skipping a couple lines, so Chazal went ahead with this thought in mind. Chazal enacted that we should say a bracha for all of these very basic functions and activities which we do first thing in the morning. From those things which are just common practice that we benefit from. And as we've been talking about over these weeks, we often take for granted. and We don't even think about or feel appreciation for those things. But Usually what happens is, as soon as you don't have one of those things, suddenly you realize how much it's missing. Like you get, uh, you know, you, uh, you, you, uh, you strain the muscle or something, and suddenly every movement that you do is straining that muscle. You didn't even know that you had that muscle. And now as soon as it gets strained, so everything that you do strains that muscle. So in the same way, all of these things which we take for granted, opening up our eyes and being able to sit up and being able to stand up and having shoes and having clothing and all of those things, that's just part of our mindless waking up in the morning. So Chazal didn't want it to be part of our mindless waking up in the morning. They wanted us to be very conscious of the fact that all of these things are gifts from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And not only are they gifts from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but you have to ask permission. You have to get permission from God in order to be able to benefit from them. Because until you go ahead and say that bracha in the morning, so then it all belongs to God. Everything belongs to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the first thing that we do in the morning is we go ahead and we're going to say all of these brachas to bring to mind, to remind us of the fact that these basic functions which we have are gifts from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, as we said, the, according to the Gemara, they should be said step by step as you get up in the morning. I assume nobody is going. Nobody says the bracha of pokech ivrim when they first open, when they first open up their eyes in the morning. First, probably the first thing you do when you open up your eyes in the morning is you reach over for whatever your alarm clock going off is, see if you could go ahead and you could track that down and turn that off, at least snooze it or turn it off. That's probably the first thing that you do, not necessarily recite the bracha pokech ivrim. So Shulchan Aruch mentions. He says, this is already a Sif base. So this is something which is pretty, uh, pretty old. It says, Achshav, nowadays, what he's addressing is we don't say these brachas as we wake up in the morning. We usually end up saying them once we get to shul. 
when we get to shul as part of the beginning of davening, that's when we say them. So he says the reason is very simple. Because when we wake up in the morning, the assumption is overnight we're touching covered parts of the body. And therefore, in order to recite a bracha, one's hands have to be spiritually clean. And when we first wake up in the morning, the, the, our hands are not spiritually clean. So we can't say the brachas at that point anyways. So since we're not going to say them at the ideal time anyways, then we shift them over to when we arrive in shul. And that is for a second reason. And that is, this goes back to before Sidurim were, uh, were printed. It says, Because you have lots of people who are not learned and they don't know how to recite these brachas. So to ask them to memorize 15 brachas, it's really not that much, but to ask them to go ahead and memorize these 15, 16 brachas in order. So some people are not going to, are not comfortable doing so. Therefore, so for that reason, we go ahead and we arrange them. We end up saying them in shul. So you have the, the, the shliach tzibur goes ahead and says the brachas out loud. And then everybody answers amen. Everybody in the tzibur answers amen. In that way, those people who cannot say the brachas for themselves, so they are yotze with the recitation of the bracha by the, by the shliach tzibur. So that is, in a sense, that's where the brachas come from and why, um, why we end up saying them in, uh, in, in shul. So that is, uh, that is, that covers really these brachas. Again, without going into the exact meaning of the brachas, but that's what's going on as far as these brachas are concerned. Now, another interesting thing, an in- interesting dynamic of these brachas, and here they actually do it in the way which is specifically, mis- I mean, they don't want to mislead us, but it's misleading in terms of the presentation on the screen in front of you, that you have over here this bracha, so the tendency would be, being that there's such a gap over here, is to answer amen at that point. But the truth is, is that after me'afapai is not the end of the bracha. The bracha actually continues all the way until So this yihiratzon, this vihiratzon over here, is actually, we consider that to be part of the bracha. So that you don't answer amen at me'afapai, you wait all the way until the shliach tzibur says, it's at that point you go ahead and you say the bracha. So this makes it a, this is a unique bracha because obviously this is uh, uh, um, deviating from the pattern which has existed until now. And that's why people have a tendency to think that you should answer amen after the word because each one was a short bracha, starts with a bracha, gets to the point and just, uh, you know, t- it's taking care of business. And over here, suddenly we add in this whole prayer and you can see the, the meaning of it. Now you can see the, uh, the translation of it together with it. And it has to do with really a prayer that we are asking of God. And it's not so much within the pattern of expressing appreciation for what God has granted us, for the things which, which we have. So the bracha, ultimately, it comes from the, uh, a, a different Gemara brachos, which talks about this, uh, you know, asking God that he should accustom us to be able to study Torah. We want to be attached to your mitzvahs, and we don't want to be challenged in a way which would be, uh, which would be too difficult for us. And over here, in the world of prayer, so he has a very beautiful idea as far as this bracha is concerned. So one thing he says, he says two things, really. Um, yeah, two things. He says 
that if you look, what happens is in the brach when the oops, sorry, when the bracha begins, know why that's there. When the bracha begins, so we say the can't win. When it says so HaKadosh Baruch Hu removes sleep from my eyes. So those who are a little attentive to grammar, the word me'enai is in the singular. It doesn't say me'enenu, from our eyes. It says from my eye, in the singular. Then, as we continue in what happens to be, as we explain, is the very same bracha. Suddenly we say shetargileinu, in the plural. Vidabkeinu, in the plural. Valtivienu, in the plural. So within a single bracha, we're shifting from singular to plural, which is an unusual thing that we would have this dramatic shift in terms of grammar. Certainly if anybody was uh, 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 an English teacher who gets a paper written by a student in mid-sentence or mid-paragraph, you're switching from singular to plural. So you would go ahead and you would point that out to your student and say, that's not the way we write. You would pick pick singular or plural and just stick with it all the way through. So this shift is something which which is unusual. But the truth is, is that this vihiratzon part, which is in the plural, that's really the more common way that we daven. And he says as follows. Um, um, he says, um, the way he writes it is, to our surprise, it abruptly changes to the plural. All of the succeeding requests and supplications are made on behalf of us, the community, rather than the individual. Here, a basic characteristic of Jewish prayer is revealed. Sedabaye, this brachos 29b, always include the community in your prayers. For as Rashi explains, your prayers will in this way be rendered acceptable. All our prayers then are in the plural, if only their contents permit them to be so. Even the special intercession for, uh, that we don't need to do. He says, for similar reasons, the prayer for going on a journey, the Tzvi'ah is also kept in the plural, even though you as an individual are the one who is reciting. This rule to have all prayers in the plural and not to think of oneself only contains an idea of highest educational value. Through it, prayer becomes a community building factor. It greatly intensifies and strengthens the feeling of mutual responsibility, and the complete solidarity of the community. It guards the individual against inconsiderate selfishness. The Kabbalah therefore recommends that one should prepare oneself before each prayer by reciting the words, and I don't know how many people are familiar with this or how many people actually say it, but you see it brought down in some Zadurim, where before you daven any tefillah, you make the following declaration. Hareni mekabal alai, I accept upon myself, Mitzvah say the positive command, to love your friend like yourself. So you make this formal declaration before you begin to daven, that I am now connecting myself to those who are outside of me, those who I'm friendly with, those who are, those who are part of my community. And prayer should not be seen simply as a personal opportunity to have a conversation with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and it's all about me, 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 Ultimately, this, the fact that we daven in plural emphasizes the fact that it's not about me, it's about us. And we're all in it together and we're all interconnected in all of, the, in all of those things. So that's why you have this shift in the, in the bracha itself in terms of the, uh, the being in plural, because as a general rule, 
that's what the prayers are, that's what the prayer that's how the prayers should be framed in any time that there's going to be a prayer which is in the singular there has to be a reason why it's in singular rather than in plural now the last thing which he points out over here is that if you again if you read through the hebrew and you in in the english so and i, I don't want to uh, take time doing so but he says the basic idea of the hirazon can be summed up uh, in the saying of the Talmud. So the, the point of this particular paragraph is, which says that God leads the man in the way he chooses. So ultimately, we're going to go ahead and we're going to end up uh, the, uh, the circumstances of our life are by and large going to be a reflection of our choices. Not always, but by and large are going to be a reflection of our choices. This view is in complete agreement with our everyday experience. Once a man has chosen a certain way of life, he follows it ever more readily and steadfastly, whether it be the right or the wrong path way. Therefore, before we take upon our daily work, we ask for divine assistance in our struggle against temptation and for encouragement in our resolve to strive for the good. Similarly, the Gemara says in Yuma, Haba letaher misayinoso. One who strives with pure intents will be helped. So that's what the point over here is. Again, this is something which is an important, uh, an important thing to frame at the beginning of the day is to, uh, to be mindful of the fact that, that, uh, that we, we need divine assistance in terms of our, our, our choices being successful and taking us in the direction that, uh, that we want to go. And we understand at the same time that we uh, ourselves are committed. We make that declaration that we want to be able to choose the path which is going to lead us to this desirable outcomes of uh, that we should become accustomed to your Torah, we should be attached to your mitzvahs, and we don't want to be led down the path which is going to lead us towards any, any type of sin or any of those things. So that's what's going on as far as these birchas hashachar is concerned. And then the next paragraph that we have over here, now this is interesting, after that whole, that whole uh, um, uh, emphasis on the fact that prayers are going to be in the plural because they're always better when they're in the plural. So, lahachis uh, almost, the next paragraph is in the singular. <laughs> so we switch over after all of that, we switch over and the next paragraph is in the, is in the singular. But here is a similar type of, of prayer where we ask Hashem, the main thing is, okay, so we're asking Hashem that we know, we recognize that there are a lot of risks and there's a lot of danger which exists. It's not danger in the sense that we need to be uh, um, uh, paranoid, that everywhere we turn, that somebody's out there to go ahead and get us. Or anything, uh, or anything of that sort. But really what we're trying to do is we recognize that it is a, a difficult task to remain committed to that yashras path, that, that path which is going to be completely loyal to God. And over the course of our days and over the course of our, uh, the weeks of our lives, so there are going to be forces which are going to attempt, not consciously or unconsciously, but there will be forces which will draw us away from being able to stay on that straight and narrow path. And we recognize once again, like the Gemara says, that every day the Sahara gets stronger, Gemara and Sukkah tells us, and if it were not for HaKadosh Baruch Hu's assistance, 
there's no way we would be able to be successful in uh, in being able to uh, to maintain our commitment and to be able to be successful at staying on that uh, the path to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So here in this prayer, also at the very beginning of the day, before we've embarked on our journey for the day, and before we've gone ahead and we've begun our uh, our regular uh, activities, our to-do list of those activities. So we ask Hashem Baruch Hu for assistance to shield me and to protect me from those things which could potentially draw me away from service of Hashem in all of the various uh, manners and manifestations and ways that that, uh, that, could poten- that could potentially occur. And this ultimately, for those who, uh, who remember, so the Gemara in Brachos on Tezayin actually records a number of, I don't remember exactly how many it was, but it records a number of statements of different Tanaim in Amoraim, short little prayers which they would which they would add over the course of their davening. So like we've talked about that in the time of Chazal, prayer was very fluid and people were still, you could you, there was a basic pattern that had to be followed, but you could go ahead and you could be creative and you could compose your own, not necessarily a bracha, not a bracha, but you could compose your own prayers which are going to be meaningful to you. And the Gemara records a number of those prayers and some of them were deemed by uh, by Chazal to be of such great significance and such great importance that it was worthy of incorporating into the Siddur on a daily basis. So this Yihiratzon is an example of one of those prayers which was originally composed by one of the Amorai, and it was seen as significant enough and worthy enough to go ahead and incorporate into the Siddur so people will frequently go ahead and say this. Okay, now the next section which we have is what's called the section of the Akedah. So in this section, it's comprised really of three paragraphs. You have the introductory paragraph, that's this prayer at the outset, then, which we'll come back to in a little bit. And then you actually have this long paragraph, which actually uh, is the psukim in the Torah, which are the Akedah Yitzchak, what we would say is Akedah Yitzchak. So that's these psukim over here, which ends over here. And then afterwards, you have another prayer, a Ribbon Sholom, which goes till here, which is the follow-up prayer afterwards. So this is something which is mentioned also. It goes back uh, pretty far. So this is something which is mentioned by the uh, by, by the tour, and the tour says this is in Simon Aleph. Where did I go? Yeah, it says Vitov Lomar Parshas Hakeda. So that's that's all the, the the tour says. The tour doesn't give any explanation for it whatsoever. He just says it's a good idea to go ahead and say the Parsha of Akeda. The Beis Yosef, Rav Yosef Karo. In his commentary, the tour, so he explains what's the significance of uh, saying Parsha Sakeda. So he says, Parsha Sakeda, the reason why we say it is, we want to go ahead and remind HaKadosh Baruch Hu of the merit of our ancestors, what Avram and Yitzchak did in this story. That's one thing that which we're trying to do. So we're trying to we're sort of like name dropping to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and say, remember that we're well connected and we have a good yichus over here because we come from Avram Yisrael who were unbelievably dedicated in terms of what they did. And then also, the Gamlach Nia Yitzro Lavodas Hashem Yisbar. And then it's also a way of reminding ourselves 
how dedicated we need to be in our service of Hashem. And the ultimate, uh, the one who personifies dedication to uh, service of Hashem is none other than Yitzchak Avinu, who was willing to go ahead and allow himself to be offered as a Korban, if that's what God wanted. So he was prepared to go ahead and, and, and do so. So it reminds us of those two, uh, of those two elements. Then, um, then there's another element uh, to this. And this is, uh, this idea is contained in the, uh, the work called Seder Hayom. So I showed you the, uh, the Seder Hayom, I think the first week that we did it. So we mentioned that the Seder Hayom, you would know him as the one who uh, composed Moda'ani, the wording of Moda'ani as we say it. So that comes from the Seder Hayom. So he talks about the, uh, the Akedah as well. And he says as follows. He says, it's an amazing, I think it's an amazing idea. He says, he actually puts it at the end of davening. That's a different discussion. But he says, we say the parsha of Akedah. Because we have nothing really to rely upon. We have no support. Is only the only thing which supports us, the only thing which keeps us going, the only thing which gives us standing is the merit of our ancestors. Of Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, Sarah Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, Vumekayim Osanu, Begalu Yosenu. And it's only their merit which allows us to exist in our exile state. So we know from world history, even a basic student of world history, even a high school world history class, so knows that for the most part, uh, nations come and go, empires come and go, and nobody really survives. They'll have a good century or two or something like that, but after a century or two, so they're, uh, so they're all gone. So the Greek Empire, we know there's a country called Greece now. The Roman Empire, we know there's a city called Rome. So all of these things, the Egyptian Empire, so all you're left with is a country, but it's not the powerhouse it used to be. And that is the way world history generally unfolds. The fact that the Jewish people can exist after thousands of years of exile is something which is really, it's an anomaly in, in, in world history that we should be able to exist without having a country where we would reside in all of it and people you know, constantly pursuing us to try and annihilate us. The fact that we could have survived is something which is a, a miracle. And the Seder Hayom says that the, oh, the, what, what allows us to do so, what gives us standing in existence is only the merit of our ancestors that continues to protect us and to shield us from all of this potential harm. And now he explains. The idea of the Akedah, the incident of the Akedah, is incredibly, incredibly large. And it was incredible to be done both as far as the okay, the binder, let's say it, meaning Avram Avinu, and the Nakad, the one who was bound, that's Yitzchak. So even though it's referred to as Akedah to Yitzchak, it's funny, I don't know how many of you have thought about this, but we talk about the Akedah, it's referred to as Akedah to Yitzchak, but we talk about the Nisayon, it's one of Avram's Nisyonos. So in one regard, Avram Avinu gets credit, he gets the shout out, in a different aspect of it, Yitzchak gets the shout out. But the Seder Yom says that both of them, they, they, they both contributed mightily to our existence through what they did at the Akedah. Odd, and it was such a powerful thing that they did. It created so much merit for the Jewish people. 
to such a degree that the Akash Baruch Hu promises the Jewish people, that on the day of judgment, meaning Rosh Hashanah, where we are in distress or we are in potential danger because there are prosecuting angels who are pointing the finger at all of our shortcomings, in all of our failings, in all of our weaknesses, and all of those things. And they want blood. They want to go ahead and they want to see punishment and they want to see bad things uh, come, come about. So on that time, when we are most vulnerable because of all of our failings, that Gosh Baruch Hu is going to remember the Akedah. Remember, that's the whole point of that. The, uh, of the three brachas of Musa, the Malchios, Zichronos, and Shofros. So the main part of that Zichronos section, the memory section, is the recollection of Akedas Yitzchak. So that's the main theme of that, because that is such a powerful source of merit for the Jewish people. And once we, we are reminded, and once we remind HaKadosh Baruch Hu of the event of Akedas Yitzchak, then we don't have to be afraid anymore. We know that we are connected to a, a great source of protection, a great source of power, and that gives us confidence to be able to stand on Rosh Hashanah. Now he says, it's amazing. He says, On Rosh Hashanah, we don't actually have to remember. We don't have to go ahead and articulate and verbalize and read through the story of the Akedah. All we need to do is, in order to, uh, 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 to arouse that merit that was created by Avram and Yitzhak in the Akedo, all we need to do is blow the shofar. Nitzka b'shofar. All we need to do is blow the shofar. Umitoch oso shofar. And from that shofar blast, which we do, Yizkor the shofar shall ayo. That's going, that itself is already going to remind God of the ram which stood in which was ultimately sacrificed in place of Yitzchak. So the, the, the shofar reminds us of the ram, the ram reminds us of Yitzchak. And then once we're thinking about Yitzchak, then we're reminded of the Akedah. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu becomes filled with mercy and compassion towards the Jewish people. And once that happens, then game over. Game over in the sense that Ein satan vein pega rash in Yisrael. at that point, the Satan or any other harmful force will have no control, will have no power against the Jewish people because once God is thinking about the Akedah, so then everything is going to be, is going to be good for the Jewish people and we don't need to worry about anything at all at, at that point. So this is the power. This is what the Seder Ayom articulates in terms of the power of the of reading through this parsha of Akedah, of drawing on the merit of the Akedah. So this is also something which is extremely, extremely powerful and extremely, extremely important. And it's for that reason that uh, the Mishnah Brewer writes, make sure I get the right place over here. The Mishnah Brewer writes, so this is Simon Aleph, Sif Katan Yud Gimel. So when he talks about reading the Akedah, so he emphasizes, Ain Dai Ba'amira. So he says that it's not enough just to simply read the words of the sitter. 
but rather a person has to think about, a person has to contemplate and internalize Mashua Omer. He has to realize what he's saying. The Yakin he flows Hashem, and the person has to recall the uh, the uh, the uh, the wonders of Hashem. And uh, and then he goes on and says, Ki Parsha Sakeda. And he says the purpose of the parsha, uh, the parsha of Akeda, is kedei lizkor, is to go ahead and zchus avos b'chol yom, is to remind Hashem and to remind us of the merit which was generated by our ancestors on a daily basis, and as we said, v'gam kedei lachnia yitzro, and also to subdue one's yitzahara. Like, uh, like Yitzhak himself went ahead and did, like we saw in the in the Beis Yosef. So this is the power of of reading this particular uh, this particular section, and that's why if you look at the opening uh, paragraph over here, just to get in terms of the theme, so this opening prayer gets a, uh, you know focuses our attention on what the theme is, and we say remember us positively. And you should also recall us for Yeshua, for salvation, Rachamim, and mercy. And all of this is because of your recollection. Remember on our behalf, Avram Yitzchak, remember all of the relationship that you had with our, with our ancestors. And that is something which is going to be, that which is going to position Klai Yisrael well. Then we say we read through the uh, the, the psukim with uh, with thinking about what they mean, and then we say again we say master of the world may it be your will that you should remember the covenant which you made with our ancestors just like Avram Avinu was able to subdue the natural love and compassion that he would have for his son. And he was willing to go ahead and uh, slaughter him in order to do your will. So too, we say to you, God, we want you to overcome the anger that you may have towards us and allow your compassion to overwhelm your exacting judgment against us for the bad things which we may have done. Because otherwise we're going to be in uh, we're going to be in big trouble. And you should go sadin, even though we're not deserving, go beyond what the letter of the law mandates that you should do. And you should treat us with chesed and rachamim, etc., etc., etc. You could go ahead and you could read the uh, the rest of the, the the rest of that. So that is as far as the parsha of Akedah is concerned. So as important as the parsha of Akedah is, in the grand scheme of things, though, it's something which is not as obligatory as some of the other stuff. So in terms of one with limited amount of time, or usually what the case is, it's not so much limited amount of time, but it's limited uh, brain uh, capacity and brain focus, where you need to go ahead and prioritize uh, whatever amount of time you have the ability to concentrate and focus. So as important as the Akeda is, it's not something which is going to be more important than Sukkot Zimra, Birchus Kriya something like that. So you need to you need to pace yourself and you need to know what you're you're capable of doing. But it's certainly a nice thing to be mindful of. And uh, on those occasions when you have the opportunity to go ahead and do so, you're sitting at the uh, 
the doctor's office because he's running behind and you happen to have a sitter in your purse or you have a sitter on your phone and you've got nothing else to do and it's either grab a magazine which is on the table or say Parsha Sakeda. So in that circumstance, my vote is going to be Parsha Sakeda rather than whatever the magazine uh, on, the, on the table is. As good as that magazine may be, but it's not going to be as powerful as, uh, as Parsha Sakeda. And those who do have the ability to do so. So it's certainly a, 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 a wonderful thing. Okay, now we get to this next section. This next section begins with the words, and very commonly people skip all the Parsha uh, Saketa altogether. And the next thing that people are familiar with in the city, you skip a couple of pages. And then you get to this paragraph of, some people say that or not. And then you have another all the way until here. So this is the, this is the next section which we go ahead and we uh, which we which we address. Now this uh, I, this uh, section actually has a very fascinating history to it, and there's the long version of it, and there's the short version of it. And believe it or not, we're going to go with the short version. Um, but it's something which is uh, which is a, a fascinating thing because it actually reveals to us something which is very instructive about the structure over here of what's going on, the fact that we have Shema Yisrael here in the middle of this, and it also is going to be helpful. Uh, it tells us why in Kedusha of Musaf and Shabbos, why there also we say Shema Yisrael, Shem Hashem Echad, Shabbos and Yantin, why we have it. So both of these things are traced back to the same era of Jewish history. So he says, I'm not sure if I'm going to be pronouncing this name correctly, but I'm just taking this, number one, because it's the short version, and number two, because it's in English. So I'm taking it from the world of prayer. He says, this prayer was most probably first introduced in the time of the Neo-Persian king Yezdegerd, the second, not the first, in case you get confused. So it's the second. He forbade the Jews of his realm to observe the Sabbath and the daily recitation of Shema. Now he puts the, the uh, year in which this would have occurred would be 4216. So if we're 5782, so that is a good uh, 1300 years ago, or he puts it 456 CE. Okay. A believer in the dualistic Persian religion. So that means he was a Zoroastrianist in a lot of things which we talk about uh, uh, related to prayer is specifically to counter the Zoroastrianist belief of the existence of a good God and a bad God. And the good God and the bad God are always fighting with one, with, with one another. And that's why, for those who remember, there's uh, halacha is particularly sensitive that a person should not say Shema Yisrael two times in a row. Because if you say Shema Yisrael, Shema Yisrael, Shema Echad, two times in a row, it was believed that maybe you're addressing the two different Zoroastrianist gods, the good God and the bad God. So saying that twice is something which was seen halachically is very offensive. But this king was a strong believer of that. So he persecuted. Excuse me, but, excuse me. but yeah. then don't, you, don't we learn that at night, if we can't fall asleep, we're supposed to just keep repeating Shema? Um, yes. So that's going to be with the Viahavta as well, not just that Pasad, but it's with the entire paragraph. This is going to be ah, just the Pasad okay. of Shema Yisrael. Okay, good. Excellent, though. Thank you. You're way ahead of me in terms of the span of Davni. Here I'm by first waking up in the morning, and you're already going to sleep at night. 
probably the late hour and that we just changed the clock. So it feels like it's like 11 o'clock at night or something. Or for some people, it feels like it's eight o'clock at night, which is bedtime. <laughs> yeah, I know. So he says, a believer in the dualistic religion, I appreciate that you're staying up. He persecuted the followers of other faiths. The Jews were singled out as the special target of his zeal because of, of their belief in monotheism and creatio ex nihilo, meaning Akash created something from nothing. He had guards posted daily in the synagogues to supervise the services and to ensure that Shema Yisrael was not said. So he wanted to make sure that nobody is saying Shema Yisrael because that declaration, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, that declaration of one God is a pledge of allegiance to the monotheistic belief, which is anti-Zoroastrian dual God belief. So that line of Shema Yisrael was the most offensive thing which anybody could possibly say under in, in this king's domain. In, his, in the land which he was going to rule over, he was absolutely and forcefully against that. And therefore he made sure he had his guards signed up for minion, so they were allowed to come in. And then he made sure that they were there during the time that they would otherwise be saying Shema to make sure that nobody was saying Shema. That's how opposed he was to the, uh, the, the Jewish belief. And Rashi, in one of Rashi's books, not in Chumash or on, on Shas, but in the book called Pardes, he says, they remained at their posts until the third or fourth hour when they knew the time for the recitation of Shema was over, and then they left. In other words, that they, the guards also came to Shul on Friday night, and they heard them announce, Sosman Kriyashat tomorrow is 9.06. So when they knew 9.06 was the latest time to say Kriyashma, so that is when the guards knew they could go home. Because they were successful. They were in Shul from Hanetzah Chama. They were there from sunrise until Sosman Kriyashma. During that time, they had trained themselves to be able to listen for Shema Yisrael. And as long as they didn't hear Shema Yisrael, they could report back to their, uh, their uh, chief of police or whatever and say, okay, I was in the shul and I made sure that nobody said Shema Yisrael. The tzibor did not say Shema Yisrael. And then he was free to go home. So in order to uh, uh, avoid that, so therefore they, would, they added Shema Yisrael over here before they got to shul. Remember, this is part of the stuff that you wouldn't be saying in shul. Really, shul stuff at that time would begin with Baruch Shamar or something. So all of the stuff which is said, being said beforehand is all stuff which is, which is said privately. So the guard couldn't control what people were saying privately in their own home. So therefore, you could get away with the Shema Yisrael at that point. And since Musaf would typically take place after Sovzman Kriyashma, the guards had already left. So since the guard, guards had already left, then they could go ahead and they could shtup in a Shema Yisrael in Kedusha of Musaf because they weren't, they weren't expecting it there and the guards weren't there anymore at that point. So they could get in a Shema Yisrael at that point as well. So that's why you have the Shema Yisrael appearing at the very beginning of what we call davening, before formal davening has begun, before Pesukah Zimra, but we throw in a Shema Yisrael. And that's why at Musaf, we would go ahead and we throw in a Shema Yisrael at the end of davening, towards the end of davening, because during this span of those three hours in between, they weren't allowed to say Kriyashma. Once they went ahead and they made these adjustments, they made these additions into davening, so we don't want to go ahead and undo them. And therefore, they remain permanent fixtures in 
davening, similar to what we know, and with this we'll conclude, I forgot they have to finish to get to, to Marv, but he says, similar to what we know, that the introduction of the Haftorah into the davening service on Shabbos was because there was a period of time where they weren't allowed to lane from the Sefer Torah, so since they couldn't lane from the Sefer Torah, because they'd be persecuted, so they introduced the, they introduced the Haftorah, that's why the Haftorah is always supposed to, uh, to resemble the theme of the Parsha of the week, and then even after that decree was rescinded, and they can now read, they could read from the Torah again. The, the introduction of reading the Torah was never was never rescinded, was never undone, and therefore we now do both. We now do regular Torah reading as well as Torah reading. So the recitation of Shema Yisrael at the beginning and the end of davening is also similar to that type of thing. It was introduced for a particular reason in a particular era, and then once it was adopted, it just remains a permanent part of the. Uh, permanent part of the uh, of the sitter. Okay, so we're going to hold it over here for for this week, and we'll pick up next week, Amir Hashem, with a little bit more about this Olam Yehei and uh, in all of that. Thank, Thank you all you. again for uh, for coming. Appreciate Thank it. you. Bye-bye.